and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for Wednesday, October 27th. I'm Tim McAlp, Jesse Rubinoff. With me as a single man for one last day, I will explain coming up in a flash. We'll also get you set for Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey on the network as two teams currently on two different trajectories. The Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers take center stage. 5-0 and Oilers are home to the Flyers in the late game and the Leafs are in Chicago with much more than a tough start to the season swirling around the Blackhawks franchise. The continued fallout from a report released yesterday chronicling sexual abuse by a Hawks video coach in 2010 is being felt in Chicago and beyond. Questions surrounding Florida head coach Joel Quenville and Jets GM Kevin Shevel Dayoff's involvement are still being distilled at this time and a scheduled meeting between Quenville and Gary Bettman is set for tomorrow and has called into question the decision to allow Quenville to coach his current team, the Panthers, in their game tonight at home to Boston. There are, as we expected yesterday, uh, when getting a first look at the report, many different layers to the story. We will get you the latest in about 30 minutes' time. Hockey Central will follow us at 7 p.m. Eastern, an interview with Katie Strang, one of the journalists that really pushed at the core of this story and investigation, will follow us on Sportsnet. The story isn't going, any, going away anytime soon, and hopefully that's a sign of progress, or at very least some baby steps in the right direction. We'll also have the latest from the World Series after Charlie Morton etched his name in World Series lore. Game 2 comes your way on Sportsnet with MLB Central coming your way 7.30 Eastern. And the Raptors at home to the Pacers tonight will tell you if it's time for Toronto to get their first home win of the season. Dropping by today, former AL MVP Justin Morneau, former ESO Medal of Achievement winner for most improved player, <laughs> Ken Reed, Jeff Merrick, Sean McKenzie, Gene Principe, and Jeff Passan, all the friends, part of the title of this show today. And amazingly, Jesse Rubinoff, who, for those who don't know, a mazel tov is in order for That's Jesse fine. getting married tomorrow Thank and you. yet still at work to like a I'm not mistaken, right? Like, I know I'm not invited, but it is Whoa. tomorrow, right? This thing's tomorrow. Well, the first of all, tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Second of all, you have a show to do. It's Tim and Friends. <laughs> what are you supposed to? Do? You haven't taken a day off yet in seven months. Uh, you're not gonna. Blanket whatever. friends. Yes. Blanket friends. Your 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 <laughs> wedding is tomorrow. My wedding is tomorrow. I know a bit more of the details than I did last week. <laughs> so uh, I, well, hold on. Can you can you quantify that? How much of the details did you know last week? Nothing. <laughs> I only knew where it was right. and what was being served for the meal. Oh, what, what, is, what is being? Right, you have options. You the, the beef, the yeah. fish, and the veggie option. Right. They're all very good. I've tasted them. They're all good. However, I know everything now. Now no, I know where no I'm chicken? supposed to be. No, no chicken. Salmon? No, no, steak? it's not salmon either. What? It's, Tilapia? What are you doing? It's miso black cod. Oh, black cod. If I got that wrong, Tim. Oh, if I got that now wrong. the miso part is very I'm fancy. I'm in big, big trouble oh, if I, I got I, that I wrong. I hate putting you on the spot like that. So you think it's weird that I'm here working today? <laughs> I, I kind of, like, a, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. No, and, and 
like in 25 years ago, it would have been no question you were working. But I just, I thought maybe, let's pose it to them. Can we do a cut or uncut? Oh, my. Jesse being here today? <laughs> like, are you nervous right now? Oh, I'm freaking out. Yeah, my, my palms are, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know weak, if it's the lights. It's like hot in here, but like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ner- It's excitement, Tim. It's not nervous. I'm not nervous. It's excitement. <laughs> right. Right? right. It's, it's a, you want it's everything to go day. right. I've been there. Exactly. A lot on my mind, but it's, it's all good because I got sports on the mind, too. Look, I love the job. I love the job. That's why I'm here. Has anyone given be you, um, along with our cut or uncut, please yeah. write in at Tim and Friends, give your best wedding advice because everyone gives you wedding advice oh, before like you go into it. Yes. And, you know, like people told me, make sure you take snapshots in your mind. It actually works because it goes by so quickly. Okay, but how do you do that? What? Does, that's not something you just, just look out. I remember looking out. This is one of these things. Like, yeah, you soak it in. You don't just look. You right. soak it in. Right. I remember look when the when the DJ. We had a good DJ. Oh, shout out Carlo. Oh, thanks. Uh, we had a good DJ at, at my wedding. Yeah. And he started by getting the entire wedding, like not just the party. Everyone at the wedding was up and dancing. And I remember, like, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Got set the tone. Because someone told me, right. make sure you take a snapshot in your mind. So that. I guess I'm passing on that advice. So I'm going to go quick. all day, all day tomorrow and all night. I'm just going to be snapshotting <laughs> left, right, and center now. Just snapshot, snapshot, <laughs> snapshot. No, I, I don't know if that's the be-all and end-all of wedding advice. No, it's true. You don't drink remember. too like much. That. That's probably the best okay, one. Okay, so how much do you... Okay, I'm not going to sit here and say that I drink. You? But, like, you, you have to avoid all that before the speech, right? Like, that's the important thing. Because you've got to be coherent before you give a speech. Sebi, right? what do you... I, I say one. If you're not a one person, then don't do the one. Like, what, Seb? Like, one to take a little edge off. Seb is looking at me like I have, like, 12 eyes. What? You, you, what? What? More no than drinks? One? More than one drink? Before the speech. Uh, right, yeah. So if I have one, anything more than one for me, I'll be in big trouble. <laughs> big trouble. <laughs> and and get, you know what I'm getting a lot of? It's like, oh, like, you're on TV. Like, the speech should be easy. Like, totally different. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Like, I don't know about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Yeah. Being in front of people. Like, right now, we're, I'm, I'm with Sebi. Yeah. I'm with you, Tim. I'm with cameras. Yeah. I'm not with like, all the people that are going to be at the wedding tomorrow are you, night. Are you already getting nervous here? Like, what are you doing here? I feel like you're already feeling... I feel like you're psyching yourself out right now. A, a little bit. I'll need a pep talk from you. The speech was... A, I felt like the speech... And my wife isn't a big speaker. Mm. Like, she wasn't going to stand up and do... So I kind of had to... She did a very short speech, and then I delivered, like... The speech, right? Yeah, no, like I just, I, I, I figured I had to go in a little further, right? Um, to make sure that we thanked everybody and all that kind of stuff, right? I think that's sort of the protocol for tomorrow. Like, okay. little speech and then big speech, sweaty palms, <laughs> knees weak. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Palms are sweaty. Bomb spaghetti. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to do Eminem for you. So, uh, get, to be honest, though, I want to say this right here, right now. Yeah, yeah. Given the heft of this week. I really appreciate that you're working Thank you. today. Thank like, you. I, I appreciate that you have been along for the ride this week, if that means anything to you It at does. All. I appreciate that. All right. Let's get the uh, festivities officially underway. Not the wedding, which is what? less. Are we less than 24 hours away? Uh, <laughs> from the wedding. Like, not the reception. Y- yes. From the wedding? No, not less than 24 hours away. From uh, the, the ceremony? No. No. Ceremony? No. I think. Okay. 
I think. I'm pretty confident that that's correct. All right. So we're... Give it an hour and 23 minutes, and then we'll be 24 hours away. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now you get it. At least it sounded for a second like you didn't know until you put off that number. I'm just showing up, baby. I'm just showing up. All right. Let's do first things first. Uh, let's chop it up, Cooper Cup. First things first. Okay. Uh, all right. First things first, Timmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who was batting first hey, for the Atlanta Braves last night? I got you. I know where you're going here. You know who did something for the first time in World Series history? Hit it. He did. The shift is on for the Astros. Altuve around to the left of second. And now the 2-0 and a swing and a ball. Hit to deep left field. And Atlanta strikes early. Solaire lines a rocket into the Crawford boxes. And three pitches into game one of the World Series. The Braves have a one to nothing lead. A historical start to game one, Timmy. Jorge Soler becoming the first batter ever to lead off a World Series with a home run. The Braves didn't look back from that point on no, to game one. 6-2 over the Astros. They just couldn't scratch across that seventh run to hit the over, though, could they? And uh, how about Braves starter Charlie Morton? Speaking of Brave, Morton was hit in the leg with a liner in the second inning, stayed in the game, would face three more batters, throwing 16 more pitches, including a strikeout of Jose Altuve, all with a fractured fibula. A broken it leg! It was revealed that he had a fractured fibula and will miss the rest of the World Series. Um, that, I think, qualifies as legendary status. Yeah, he's, I said it at the start. He's etched his name in World Series lore, and the idea of him striking out one of the best batters on planet Earth in Jose Altuve as yeah. his last pitch in the World Series after getting hit by this line drive, like, uh, all of this leads to Charlie Morton being, I mean, he was already kind of a legend, right? Like, he already had that postseason lore. Mm-hmm. He was the dude that closed out the game for the Astros when they won the World Series. Here he was starting against that team in the World Series, spent some time with the Rays in between. They were in the playoffs last year. Like, the resume was already full for Charlie Morton. But you add this on top of it, and that final pitch to Jose Altuve, it will be remembered for a long time. This goes with bloody socks. Oh, yeah. This goes with home runs. Charlie Morton, 16 pitches, including a strikeout of Jose Altuve on a broken leg, will go down in World Series. Yeah, I, I can't even fathom what that must have felt like. like he went. I, in- I fractured my fibula. So I've, did, I've done that, it, and I was on the ground the screaming right, and yelling. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I don't know if my fracture was a little bit different mm-hmm. than his fracture, but it's still a broken leg. Yeah. Like, I was screaming in pain. And apparently he apologized to his teammates. Which yeah, is so sorry, ridiculous. I can't go. It's so ridiculous. Sorry, I can't go. Like, we get it. You have a fractured leg. Uh, but I, I felt for him, too, because he was pitching really well, and the Braves are really set up, but then they ended up having to burn the bullpen. So what well, does this mean for the, the Braves moving forward in the series? You've, you've led me to my next take on mm-hmm. this, is that congratulations, uh, Atlanta Braves, congratulations, Charlie Morton, on etching yourself in World Series lore, but you've also taken away the one advantage that Atlanta had, and that was starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to win these next two games. Like, there is an immense amount of pressure on Max Fried tonight to get the job done because what are they going to do in that game four? They, they don't have the starters to turn to to get this done. A.J. Minter threw a career-high 43 pitches to get the win. Like, their bullpen has already been taxed, and now they're going to face an Astros lineup with 
a bullpen that's taxed and a shorter rotation than they already had, and that was three. Like, this morning I sprinkled, I'm going to be honest here, I sprinkled a little bit on Houston. They're plus 135 to win the series. I, I legitimately think the Astros are now favorites to win the World Series because Charlie Morton is out and they had to use some of their bullpen last night. But how much does it uh, concern you that they have Max Fried going, the Braves do? Who's their best pitcher? So if they could be going back to Atlanta with a 2-0 lead, and I understand that now Charlie Morton's injury is going to loom large eventually somewhere down the road, but if they go back to Atlanta up 2-0, historically speaking, they're looking very good to win this World Series, right? And, and when it comes to the Braves, we just put the board up there. They've had a lot of injuries already, and somehow they've persevered. So would you be concerned about your bet if the Braves go back up 2-0? Because they're in a good you, spot here with Freed. You, you do know that we had this exact conversation with Freed facing the Dodgers, and he got lit up pretty big. He did get, yeah. We, had, we actually had this exact conversation. Exact conversation, yeah, right? right? They're in a good spot. They got Max Freed going. They got Freed going up, and then five home runs out. later, Nostradamus was called right. it, and the Dodgers were able to get out uh, in front of this one. Uh, you mentioned the stats, and uh, here's the number. Yeah. How important is game two? Uh, Freed or Keedy, the road team has won the first two games of the World Series 14 times. They've gone on to win the series 11 of those 14 times. So yes, it would be in their favor, but Freed is no lock tonight. Clearly not after our previous conversation. And like to be fair, he's a really good pitcher, so he'll probably pitch really well yeah. soon. But the Astros bats are not going to stay as quiet as they stayed in that game, no right? Doubt. And, and that, to me, is like, I mean, you look at what Altuve did and Correa, Correa did. That's not going to happen again. No. And uh, so, rare. for me, I feel like that may, like I feel like Charlie Morton was absolutely an unbelievable moment in World Series lore and may have tipped the scales in favor of the Houston Astros. Uh, we'll have Justin Morneau we'll ask coming him. up a little bit later. It's a good uh, guy to get an opinion from on this. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we go to hockey. And it felt like one step forward, two steps back. For the Montreal Canadiens last night, after picking up their first win of the season on Saturday, they got pumped by the Kraken 5-1, while the Canucks came up a little short in their home opener, losing 3-2 to the Wild. But here we have the Jets picking up their third win in a row after an exciting comeback win, 4-3 over the Ducks, and the Flames kept rolling with their fourth straight win, 5-3 over the Devils. Calgary with 17 goals during the win streak on fire. Each result seemed fitting for each team. Are we talking here about... <laughs> The losses or the Just wins. Hold on a second. You believe that the Habs 5-1 loss in Seattle is fitting for that team? As of right now, yes. Yeah, I think we've exhausted that one. I think everyone knows if you've been watching this show in any way, shape, or form yes. what we think is going. And I think you agree with me on the Habs, don't you? Yeah. I, I, I said at the beginning, don't count them out. But I, I can admit that the... Talent level right there, right now, is not there, and they have. So, to this just, point, say, just say no, you don't agree point, with me. Nobody don't go around up. and start. Nobody stepped up, like, so yes, I don't agree. Don't start with your you. marriage already compromising to me. One six and zero oh is not a good start, so yes, I agree with you. They're no, one six and zero oh is not a good start, and obviously they're reeling without two of their absolute legends in the lineup. But yeah. I feel like we've walked that road for sure. The Andrew Mangia, who had Andrew Mangiapane and Elias Lindholm having the co-share of the NHL lead in goal scoring this early in the season. If you did, I hope you cashed some sort of ticket because it is absolutely unbelievable what the Flames, after a slow start, have been able to do all on the road, I might add. 
This four-game winning streak is all on the road. We sat here yesterday. You asked me a similar question about who do you think um, – I forget the phrasing of the question, but it was something along the lines like, who do you think this little uptick over the last little while – uh, is best suiting. Mm-hmm. And I said Calgary, and then bingo, bango, bongo, near literally four goals in the first period last night. It was unbelievable. They, the Devils were shell-shocked. I, I am, if this team scores with Daryl Sutter as a coach, if they get balanced scoring, and listen, Mangiapane, great. Lindholm, great. I don't know if they can keep it up. I believe probably the shooting numbers on Mangiapane will come down a little bit. But the guy was the MVP at the World Championships. The Calgary Flames story could be real interesting. And as you and I have talked about a bunch of times, there is wide open spaces in the Pacific Division if someone wants to grab a hold early and run. So maybe it's Calgary and then a little caveat there that Vancouver... Should have beaten Minnesota last mm-hmm. night. Although Cam Talbot and the Wild are off to a pretty yeah. good start too. You make a really good point about the Flames. Like they they lamented last season not being able to score first, and especially as you said with Daryl Sutter being their head coach and what he preaches, score first, and then we'll not necessarily go into a shell, but defend hard. Yeah, they scored four, and they scored four. So <laughs> that's pretty easy to sit four. on that lead. Yeah, although it was five one at one point, it finished five three. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if it got nervous, but you looked up after I turned it off after five one. I'm like, yeah. wait a second, it finished five three. What yeah. happened here? Like zip 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 zip. Were they playing the Raptors? Really, I love zip 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 zip. What is zip 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 zip? You're allowed to do that on the PVR. Just oh, like real, super quick. You're saying? Yeah, go look back. See yeah, what it's happened. Crazy. Yeah, I, I enjoy that technology and stuff. Yes. Uh, okay, staying with hockey. A couple teams heading in opposite directions are back on the ice tonight. The Maple Leafs are in Chicago to play a depleted Blackhawks team. Toronto losers of. Four in a row, and you can watch that on Sportsnet 1. The Hockey Central crew gets you set at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Then at 8 Mountain, it's the Flyers and Oilers. Edmonton still undefeated with five straight wins to start the season. That's on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 1. The two teams have been compared often over the last couple of years. Which roster would you rather have? We're not doing this one again. How often have we done this one? (laughs) What are you doing? You're laughing after you ask it. How often do we I, like? I feel like that was the last five years. Well, it, okay, it's an unfair question. Four years. It's an un, it's a bit of an unfair question considering the current circumstances. I think like you you can look at the rosters separately. Yes, well, no, whatever. I think that's why this has been a hot button topic yes. because you could like obviously find holes in both teams if you looked deep enough. Like, yeah. do you think that Edmonton's goaltending is going to be this good for the entire year? I don't know. It was good for a good chunk of last year. Yes, it was. Mike Smith was very good so, for most of last year. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. The question, the question is maybe uh, when it comes to that. The answer and is do maybe. you know what the Leafs goaltending is? I have no idea. No, nope, neither do I. Okay, so, so I think you are obviously incredibly knowledgeable, and you would be able to separate the two rosters now. But the average fan, I think, would have a different opinion It's Edmonton today. immediately. It, yes, well, that's would have just, a different opinion today yeah, than at the beginning of the season, right? That's just a recency bias. But that's yes, re- yes. I, I do believe, though, that McDavid and Dreisaitl, um are just so good that a lot of people would stop there. Right. And listen, I think if you ask most people who didn't hate the Leafs how many goals Austin Matthews was going to score before the season started, they would have been in the 60 range. He would not be where he is right now. <laughs> yeah, they would be in the 60 range, so it might be a little bit different. But no, I'm not doing this recency bias thing. I do, I do really want to see Marner, 
Matthews and Tavares assert themselves. Like, I'm looking at what has happened. And let me put up the board of Zach Hyman outscoring Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander. (laughs) Zach Hyman has one more goal than Nylander, Tavares, Marner, and Matthews combined. Yes, that is true on planet Earth in this juncture in time. And most of them have been tap-ins, by the way, for Zach Hyman. But I, I, I think that the Leafs' chances that they're getting and the number of chances that they're getting will eventually start going in and then people will jump slowly back on the bandwagon. But that's not what I'm worried about with this team. I'm worried about when the adversity hits them, Mm -hmm. how do they respond? And that's why I want to see their big guns start taking over. Because, listen, I don't know how the Maple Leafs made this regular season mean something. Like, every one of every Leaf fan that I talked to, yeah, didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Regular season did not matter. Postseason was, and now all of a sudden the regular season matters a ton. And they're questioning leadership, and they're questioning coaching, and they're questioning GMs. And if I'm in that room and I'm one of those stars, I'm kind of sort of questioning myself and whether or not I should be taking this bull by the horns. You think it's bad now? Like, just what happens these two games, these next two games, is massive. Like, I'm not sure the, the if, tone around the team could get much worse than it is right now, but. If they lose the next two games, it will. But it, if you lose to Chicago tonight with all of, no Kane, no Taves, yeah. coaches on the, they're in turmoil. You lose and you come home on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. What's that crowd going to be like? I mean, there was a jersey on the ice after five games, Tim. Right. Five I, games. I don't know if they know. I don't think the players realize that if they lose this game tonight what will be waiting for them on Saturday night. Right. Agreed. I don't think they know that. I don't think they know that. Meanwhile, Edmonton. 5-0. and 5-0. Oh. Oh. Although there's a bunch of teams that are 5-0 and oh this year. First time in NHL history, four teams, 5-0. Yeah, oh. but one has McDavid and he's on pace for, like, I don't know, like 1,000 points. So. 213 and a half oh, okay. points. Got it. Uh, still plenty <laughs> ahead on this Wednesday edition of Tim and Friends. By the way, uh, if you're going by that, Leon Dreisaitl is also on pace for 180 points. Sean McKenzie, Gene Principe from Edmonton, Ken Reed, in studio Jeff Merrick will all join me, plus Justin Morneau, Jeff Passon. We'll look ahead to game two of the World Series. Tim and friends helping you through your hump day. And now the 2-0 and a swing and a ball hit to deep left field and Atlanta strikes early. Game one belongs to Atlanta. Ehlers comes up with it. Ehlers scores! Goff wins another face-off score! And the Jets pick up their first road win of the season and in heroic fashion. Now a breakaway, Mangiapane again, right in, scores! Andrew Mangiapane, second of the period. Oh, quickly, Jones Maxey. Pointed to the floor. What is Shagun doing at the free throw line? You gotta coach that thing. <laughs> Finesse that sweet leather. All right, let's 
Let's do it. It's game one. World Series. Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. The curtain comes up. Here's one slammed into left field. How about that start to the World Series? First swing of the fall classic. Here is Riley with a ball into left center field. It's going to make it 2-0. Braves have come up flying here in game one. Valdez just trying to fight to stay in the game. This one is a rocket into left and gone. 5-0 Atlanta. What a message sent by the Atlanta offense. Terrible news for the Braves and for Charlie Morton. Unfortunate injury, right fibula fracture. And he will miss the remainder of this World Series. Game one belongs to Atlanta. It's a game the Braves needed, but it was a costly one as they lost their star, Charlie Morton. 6-2 Braves is the final. Joining me now is the co-host of MLB Central along with Jamie Campbell tonight. Uh, you might know him a little better as a four-time MLB All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, and uh, yeah, AL MVP, Justin Morneau. They, and, and full disclosure, speedy from COVID testing because it just finished, <laughs> what, like 35 seconds ago? Yeah, there's not, not very often in my life am I known, am I known as being fast. So it was did you get down the first I, base line today? <laughs> probably faster than I got down the first base line. Uh, did it go well? You're all, everything's, I'm, I'm I see, your, I see your wrist brand. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we get these. So. Either you got that or we're going drinking for free in Cancun. <laughs> drinks are free. Uh, have you ever played on a fractured fibula? Uh, not that I know of, no. That was incredible. It was incredible. He's, he's, I mean, I see I get a lot of flack or whatever you want to call it from, from my buddies, my hockey buddies, you know, right. talking about how uh, baseball players aren't tough and all the rest of it, you know, so-and-so played in the playoffs and, and they had a broken leg. Well, now we've got a guy who did it on the baseball side, and, and uh, it was impressive. I mean, he went until he couldn't go anymore. It was, it was incredible to watch and, and then to hear the news. Of what it was? <laughs> yeah. To go, yeah. oh, yeah, he, he just struck out Altuve with a broken leg. No <laughs> big deal in the World Series. And that's the part that I can't get over is that the last pitch, the one that sent him out, he struck out one of the best batters of the generation. Perfectly located. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like he'd thrown a million of them before and just threw it exactly where he wanted to. It was, a, it was an impressive performance. But now what it means for them going forward, I think it's going to be. Well, that's what I said to Jesse in the opening block. I said, I, 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 uh, I happen to sprinkle a little bit on Houston because I think they're the favorites now. It's going to be like, it feels like there's a ton of pressure on the other two starters in this Braves rotation to do damage immediately or they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think the one thing they do have going for them is that they won that first game on the road. So they've already guaranteed themselves the split. They have a chance to win the World Series at home. So, yes, they need to win tonight. That would be great. But... I think if you were looking at it going into the series, you said, all right, we go into Houston, a tough place to play, you know, loud ballpark, everything else. They, they play well there. They hit well there. And then all of a sudden you go, all right, we won game one. Now we win game two. I mean, we're in, obviously in the driver's seat heading home. But yeah. it's, it's one of those things. You, you never think of it that way as a player. You don't right. go, oh, let's see if we can win one out of two to start this series. <laughs> right. You know, you go, all right, let's, let's win the first one and see what happens. And, right. and, and they're in pretty good shape right now. And maybe they won't need Morton. Maybe they, they just continue to play well and, and roll like they did for the last couple of months and, and how they've been playing in the playoffs. But with Minter throwing 43 pitches, that bullpen being used a little bit, like that doesn't concern you, especially with the bats that Houston has. Like I don't think – I know the number was like 0 for 12 for Correa, Bregman, and Altuve. Like that doesn't happen much. Yeah, and with the lefty going tonight, those right-handed bats are going to need to do something if they're going to win. So, I, yeah, the Minter one to me was – Somewhat surprising, but I think maybe that's one of those games as a manager you're going, you know what, if we can win game one, put ourselves in 
you know, in a great position to win the series, and then maybe Freed goes out and, and gives you seven good ones or whatever it is. But I think so much today in managing the playoffs is win today, we'll worry about tomorrow when it happens. And that's kind of what that game looked like to me yesterday. It was just we got to do what we got to do to get through. We've got the lead. Now we have to find a way to hold on, and, and they did it. Right. Get one and then worry about the next one uh, when it comes. I, you mentioned the managers, and I know that it's like the trendy thing in pro sports for uh, the managers to be young, good-looking guys who come in with fervor and give great speeches. And you look out there last night, and it's 72-year-old Dusty Baker going up against, I think, 66-year-old Brian Snitker. Like, is... Is this something against the trend? Is this something that you, like, do you see a difference between what these guys bring to the table yeah. and say what the young guys bring to the table? Well, I think, I mean, anytime you have experience, right, that's, it's, it's something that you can't replicate. No matter how much you, you simulate games, and, and teams do this now, they go through manager training and they go spend time in the offseason simulating moves and they go through games. I mean, Rocco Baldelli talked about it in, they did it in Minnesota as, when the pandemic was going last year. They, they went through simulations to try and help him, you know, get to his quicken, decisions that, quick, yeah, yeah. Like quicken that learning curve. Yeah. And, and these guys have been there. They've seen every situation. And, and Dusty's managing the World Series before. And it, it's, it's one of those things where, if you have someone over there who's been there before, you have a lot of a trust, and, and there's not as much second-guessing, I feel like, uh, at least of themselves. Yeah. You know, if it's your first time going through it as a manager, and, and I, I feel like Dave Roberts is a good example. I know he's everyone's perfect, you know, guy that everyone loves to attack. How the Dodgers not won more World right. Series? It's all Dave Roberts' fault. No, but, <laughs> but in the beginning of his tenure, he was yeah. criticized for almost every pitching change he made in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and if he was Dusty Baker, would he have had the same criticism based on the fact that Dusty had done it for so long and you right. give him a little more leeway but I don't know I think that this the two things I hear about these guys is they're just great communicators and they understand their players and they go you know they go out there and, and they understand it's about managing people and it's about managing different personalities and trying to bring them all together and move them in the same direction right. I think their experience allows them to do that the one thing that I've talked to guys that have played around the game and they've said to me sometimes when you're in that spot the game comes at you fast and like you watch Dusty and you watch they they just everything is slow when they when they're introduced before the game it's like a slow jaunt out like I wonder if that's almost a psychological thing that the managers come to like everything is going to be slow because this game can come fast yeah you don't need the manager with pom-poms doing the rah-rah thing <laughs> right. and, and losing their mind out there when yeah. when there's calm from the manager it, it kind of just filters down and you see the guy you know you have your energy players but your manager when he's that calm voice that you know, never the situation never seems too big for him, and and that's kind of what I see from these guys. It's 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 incredible to watch, and and the respect I think that they have as well from all their players. Could this pump the brakes in that trend of all the young guys? Do you think? I don't Looking know. Too much to me, you can tell well, me yeah, but to know. me, usually what happens is it's a veteran manager who helps teach the fundamentals to a rebuilding team, and then all of a sudden they're right about to turn the corner, and then you bring in the young guy who right. who kind of can. You know, maybe relate in a different way that, that some of the older managers can. It, it, to me, it seems like it, it, it happens so often. It's yeah. like, all right, well, this, this voice that we've heard has, has taught these guys to hit the cutoff man and to do all the, you know, the little right. things that, that the veteran managers see because they see the whole field. They've seen it thousands and thousands of times, and they, right. they kind of have that knowledge. And then all of a sudden you bring in the young guy, and the, and the young guy has that energy, and he has that ability to, re, to relate to a, a, a 21-year-old, and, and, and it, it maybe is a little different way. And, and all of a sudden the guy's play a little bit looser and then they take off and whether that's manager related or you know the previous manager related yeah. it's hard to really put a finger on it I, I do I find that teams in all sports when they let go of a guy 
there's always someone who's a little bit different coming in. So if it was like the kick you in the ass guy, they bring in the personable guy. If it's the personable guy, ah, this team, they were too soft on these players and they bring in the kick your ass guy. Uh, you mentioned young guys. You mentioned 21. I got an 11-year-old at home who loves baseball and plays baseball, yet he hasn't watched a World Series game in years. Does baseball have a bit of a problem here with the, yeah? <laughs> yeah, we were, I mean, that's, we spent a half an hour you know, as we're watching the game, trying to figure out what we want to talk about of how to fix the game of baseball. I think the first thing is a pitch clock. And as a player, I was completely opposed to it, and I understand why players are opposed to it. There's so much information that you're, you have 25 to 30 seconds to go through. All right, this guy loves throwing this pitch in this location. Right. How do you get to – you kind of filter through these counts in your mind. If you have all this stuff memorized, you know, the catchers have a little cheat sheet. The hitters don't have that of <laughs> – all right, I, I get 0-2 against this guy. He throws high fastballs, and he likes to bounce his slider and eliminate the chain. You know, the, right. you have all these thoughts that you have to kind of process as you're going through, and I think it's hard to, to rush that. And, and I think that's what everyone kind of, as a player, looks at and says, I don't want to be rushed in my process. I want to be able to go through this, all this preparation I've done. I want what you're to doing when you're, when you're fixing and, those and things. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, that's kind of a nervous about, yeah, tick. It's, yeah. more, it's more, I'm, I'm doing this, but really I'm thinking about right. the next pitch and, right. and how he got me out last time and what I want to do in this situation. And, and I think that's the challenge of, of speeding it up. But I think if you, as you know, I think the number was somewhere around 70% of players now that are in the big leagues have played with a pitch clock in the minor leagues. Right. So if it's brought in, you know, gradually, if you bring it into AAA next year and then say, Two years from now, we're going to have it in the big leagues. Right. I think if you give guys time to adjust, and to me that's, of all the crazy things, eliminate the shift, play seven inning games every night, all that kind of stuff would be fixed in a, in a lot of ways if you just put that pitch clock on 18 or 20 or 22 seconds or whatever the number is, yeah. and then, and then you, you kind of speed it up, and then I think that will help the pace of play. Yeah, the pace of play is one thing, and I, I can't have four-and-a-half-hour games when we seemingly in the playoffs get four-and-a-half-hour games every second game and maybe even less than that but also the start time to the world series like it's too late like yeah. if you want to like my son loves baseball I, he's not staying up for a four and a half hour game that starts at eight thirty-seven. yeah like, and that's i have an 11 year old too i have, yeah. I, have I, mean, I have a whole slew of kids but <laughs> it's, it's one of those things i look at it and i go yeah. i talked about it when i got done i said there's not one kid that had school today that was up watching the end of that game last right. night and usually that's and not the most even exciting in the cent- time. Not in the central time zone. The only people who are awake are maybe some kids on the West on the West Coast. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know, like you, my kids are, I'm hoping they're asleep by 9. I mean, that, right. all right, you can watch the first two innings and then that's it. You yeah. miss all the yeah. drama, all the, everything that's the going on stuff. in the game. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, I think that is the problem, and that's a problem for baseball. Uh, shout out BC, by the way. Shout out New Westminster. Shout out all those spots that uh, you touched along the way. So thanks for doing this. Really yeah. appreciate this. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, AL MVP. Justin Morno. Uh, remember, you can catch Justin at LB Central tonight. Jamie and Joe both in the building, 7.30 Eastern time. We'll have more on the World Series next hour when Jeff Passan joins us from Houston. You're watching Tim and Friends on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Yesterday, as many of you know, the Chicago Blackhawks held a public briefing to discuss the findings of an independent investigation into sexual assault allegations brought against former video coach Brad Aldridge and how the team handled those allegations during the 2010 playoff season. Now, the fallout from these findings has left many questioning how many people could have known about the abuse 
and not acted upon the information that was distilled. Yesterday, Stan Bowman stepped down as president and general manager of the Blackhawks and USA Hockey. Now, there are no other Blackhawk executives involved with that 2010 team remaining with the organization. Much of the investigation centered around a meeting about Aldridge involving members of the Hawks senior leadership in May of 2010 and found that the organization took no action for three weeks after that meeting. Involved in that meeting were then assistant general manager Kevin Dayoff and then head coach Joel Quenville. Now, Dayoff is the GM of the Winnipeg Jets. Quenville is the head coach of the Florida Panthers. Commissioner Gary Bettman released a statement yesterday saying that he plans to meet with both individuals. Quenville's meeting is set to take place tomorrow at the commissioner's office in New York City. He spoke with the media today and read from a written, written statement before answering a couple of questions. Tomorrow I'll be meeting with Gary Bettman. I look forward to continuing to contribute to the process. I know I respect you all doing your jobs and having uh, your questions as well here, but uh, I won't comment any further to the appropriate time after I, I meet with the commissioner. Did you talk to anybody within the team today? Do you have a meet, team meeting? We had uh, several little quick meetings about uh, different subjects. Yeah, I would assume that was one of them. Uh, it was addressed. Any problems you feel within the room? Do you feel like this could be a distraction, anything of that sort? I think we tried to eliminate all distractions, and uh, that was one of them. Joel, without getting into detail, do you still stand by the statement that you put out earlier this summer regarding what happened in Chicago? I do, but I can't comment. I comment on it. Many have gone to social media to suggest that Quenville shouldn't be coaching tonight, and it's a fair and very valid point. As tough as it is to determine who knew what from the 107-page report, one thing is clear. People can't be worried about the Panthers' next couple of games or what Shevel Dayoff does between now and his meeting with Gary Bettman on Monday. The focus needs to be to ensure that a proper accountability of everyone involved makes for damn sure that a failure to report something as disturbing as what was written in that 107-page report never happens again. Like, that is the bottom line here, that nothing like this is ever swept under the rug so team chemistry isn't affected or grown men or women aren't embarrassed by what happened under their leadership. They had that chance already. Now, some believe the findings were just the tip of the iceberg, and it's not just leadership, but players on that 2010 team also knew. Edmonton Oilers defenseman Duncan Keith was with the Blackhawks from 20, 2005 to 2021 and an integral part of that 2010 Stanley Cup winning team as an assistant captain. He met with the media today, and Keith says that the allegations were not handled properly, but that he was among more than a few that were unaware of what was happening at the time. I think, first of all, your your thoughts go to the, the person that, uh, you know, was affected by this. And, um, you know, uh, obviously it took a lot for him to, to speak out and, and make this, you know, bring this forward. So that took a lot of courage and, um, you know, the thoughts immediately go to him um, on what he had to endure at such a young age in his career. You know, I feel terrible about that. Did they handle it the way, you know, it needed to be handled? No, they didn't. But, um, you know, I, I don't know why it was handled that way. Um, can't speak for them. Uh, but, you know, obviously, 
um, should have been probably uh, handled differently. And I, I didn't know anything. Uh, my, my time at the, you know, in, in those playoffs, you know, thinking back, it, my whole focus was 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 right in the moment, uh, doing uh, what we had to do as a team, as a group, and um, as one of the leaders on that team. We had many leaders, and and our focus was was trying to win hockey games and and win in the playoffs. And um, I know there was talk that you know players knew, and and maybe some guys did know, but it, not everybody knew. And you know um, maybe that's hard for people to understand, but but you know that's the truth. Not everybody knew, and and I didn't know what uh, that that was happening, and that, that those things happened to to that person. Now, another former player from that 2010 Blackhawks team is Brent Sopel, who played in Chicago from 2007 to 2010. And Sopel has been one of the more outspoken players in regards to the allegations against his former video coach. He had this to say on ESPN's Outside the Lions today with Emily Kaplan. I'm still numb from it all. Um, obviously, you saw how long that report is. Being dyslexic, I haven't even come close to be able to read you know, all the way through it, but... Um, a lot of emotions, a lot of lives have been affected in a, in a negative fashion that will uh, never, never be able to get their lives back to normal. We knew a lot of this stuff, and um, but we uh, we brought it to uh, the executives, and just like any other company, there's an HR, and that's what we did. We we took it to the HR, and that was uh, upper management, and uh, expected them to to handle it and take care of it. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't our place to go back and six months down the road and say, hey, did you take care of it? Uh, we expected them to take care of it and do what was necessary and to find out that they didn't. Okay, in regards to the reaction to the information back in 2010, it's also important to note that good people make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, that's what human beings do. But the nature of this report demands sensitivity and attention to details that were seemingly ignored the first time around. Like, listen, there were predators in minor hockey when I grew up. There were predators in Maple Leaf Gardens when I grew up. We have learned that there were predators in church and schools and universities. And a lot of people were forced to live with that pain. We can no longer give people excuses. We can no longer give space for these predators to operate, to give them oxygen by humming and hawing when stuff comes up, which makes me even more surprised that given the findings in Chicago, we're sitting here talking about this today. And even further to that, Jesse, mm -hmm. the NFL is sitting on the information that they found in the investigations surrounding the Washington football team and their toxic work environment. Like, I'm shocked that given what we just went through yesterday, yeah. that Roger Goodell is posed with a question, and he's like, ah, we're not releasing any of this information. Like, we might hear about this information eventually, and there's a lot of people who will probably be upset about what they saw in Washington, and of course what they already heard from Chicago. Well, how much of that do you put on Dan Snyder being an owner? versus what we saw with John Gruden. And maybe, potentially, it's easier to um, dismiss John Gruden in his role than it is for Dan Snyder to force him to give up some sort of control of the team. We know that he's been fined $10 million, and he's no longer overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of the Washington football team. But 
that doesn't seem like it's enough given what we have seen in this situation and given what we saw in the Gruden situation. Why are we learning this information? And when they have it, them being the NFL, why do they have it? And why is the public not seeing it? The optics of it being an owner and not releasing that information is terrible for the NFL. Because you're right. I think that's the difference. I think that Roger Goodell works for the owners of the National Football League. Gary Bettman works for the owners of the National Hockey League. But Adam Silver works for the owners of the NBA. And in the end, when someone did something stupid in L.A., love, peace, and hair grease. And I wonder if, you know, a year down the road, six months down the road, we might not end up there because I don't think this is going away anytime soon. Yeah, I just don't know what, what's tying Goodell to having the Snyders owning the Washington football team. Like, why can't someone else can step in? Like, we saw in the Clippers situation, Bomber stepped in, right? Yeah. So why can't? I'm sure there's tons of people out there. I mean, I don't know what was in there, but it sounds like it was an absolutely terrible work environment. Totally. It seems like there's tons of people that would want to own an NFL franchise. So it's it's confusing for sure. All right. After the break, we'll turn our attention to the games on the ice. Uh, Leafs and Oilers both in action on Sportsnet tonight. Sean McKenzie, Gene Principe, Ken Reed all lined up next, and we will discuss those games right here on your Wednesday edition of Tim and Friends. Thank you very much. Sheepdogs back here with you for another hour on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Lots of hockey talk this hour. Ken Reed, Jeff Merrick will drop by. Much more on the fallout from the Chicago Blackhawks investigation. We'll also get to Houston ahead of Game 2 of the World Series. Of course, you can see tonight's game on Sportsnet. Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle, and the aforementioned Justin Morneau will get you set. MLB Central, 7.30 Eastern. The Braves took game one last night, 6-2, despite losing Charlie Morton to a broken fibula after two and a third innings. He outdueled his opposing pitcher, and he did it with a broken fibula. Braves leadoff hitter Jorge Soler became the first ever player to hit a home run in the first plate appearance of the World Series. Tonight, Max Fried under pressure as he takes on Jose Urquidy for the Astros. Despite making World Series history in Game 1, Soler moved from leadoff to the fifth spot in the lineup. It'll be the red-hot Eddie Rosario. Not a bad option to go to to lead off. 2-3-4 uh, remains the same. 6-7-8. Little musical chairs for Game number 2. And despite losing Game 1, Astros sticking with their big guns, not making many changes to the lineup. The only one being in center field, Jose Siri replacing Chaz McCormick and hitting eight, hey Siri, hit me a home run. Ken Reed's already here. He's just kind of sitting there chiming in. We've got a pair of NHL games on Sportsnet 1 tonight. The reeling Leafs look to snap their four-game losing streak as they visit the Blackhawks on Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. And that'll be followed by the undefeated Oilers hosting the Flyers. We'll check in with Gene Principe in Edmonton in just a minute. But first, Sean McKenzie joins us from Chicago. Sean, in the midst of everything happening in that city, which we've been discussing, the winless Blackhawks host the Leafs who are desperate for a win tonight. 
Yeah, Tim, and despite the Maple Leafs' struggles, they continue to preach confidence and patience, which is two things, ironically enough, that Leafs fans don't seem to have a lot of right now, and understandably so. This is a group that has been through a lot. Forget about all the losses of the Boston Bruins. Just think of the last two seasons, what Leaf Nation has been through. You have the David Ayers game. I don't think I have to remind anyone about that. You have the loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets in the playoffs, which, albeit, was under strange circumstances, so a little bit more understandable. But last year, the loss to the Montreal Canadiens, that seemed to shake the foundation for Leafs fans, and it left a lot bitter. It left a lot lacking confidence. It also left a lot disinterested, which might be worse than all of them. So it brings us up to date, and it comes as no surprise that after that loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins, with no Malkin, Latang, Crosby in the lineup. There were a lot of Leaf fans that just said, here we go again. It's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. The loss to the Carolina Hurricanes, albeit a better performance, didn't exactly do wonders for Leafs Nation. But it brings us to tonight now, which feels a little bit like a defining moment for the Leafs. A win could go at least a little bit of a way to help quiet all that outside noise, as Austin Matthews said it, but a loss to this Blackhawks team with no Jonathan Taves, no Patrick Kane. They are winless. They're struggling. They haven't held a lead all season long. Well, that noise is going to become a deafening roar if they don't come in here and make a statement. Yeah, I don't believe in must-wins in October, but this is pretty damn close because that crowd, if they lose again to a team that has been uh, shaken by absences like they did Saturday night in Pittsburgh, that crowd on Saturday night in Toronto uh, will be unruly to say the least. Uh, Sean McKenzie looking like Al Capone in Chicago. I appreciate you doing this with us. Thank you. And if I'm a little on edge, there's a mariachi band that just keeps popping up and starting randomly throughout the last 20 minutes or so. I feel like I'm a little bit one of those romantic comedies where it's a really bad first date and the mariachi band keeps showing up tableside. So I'm I'm a little on edge here. Uh, Hopefully that date isn't with me uh, because you could do better. Sean McKenzie, appreciate you doing this. No problem. I would go on a date with you anytime. (laughs) I wouldn't pay, but I'd go on a date with you. (laughs) Sean McKenzie in Chicago. Kenny, he kind of looks like Al Capone. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I went Al Capone to you as soon as you came up on screen. All right, uh, Ken Reed's in studio. I look gonna, like Fred Shiro. We're going to formally introduce him in a second, but for the first time in NHL history, four teams, Kenny, I think you had this on last night's show, mm-hmm. have started the season 5-0. and One of them is Edmonton. The Oilers look to make it 6-0 and tonight against the Flyers. Gene Principe standing by live at Rogers Arena in Edmonton. Excuse me, Rogers Place in Edmonton. There's a lot of Rogers. Gene, the Oilers haven't played since Friday night in <laughs> Vegas. Uh, how did they spend their yeah. time? I heard that there was yeah. a, quite a little show, and are they worried about losing some momentum after that 5-0 and start? Well, uh, I thought after the mariachi band, you were going to cha-cha check in with me um, here in, uh, in Edmonton. No. Uh, there is Ooh. lots of Rogers, and we're happy with that. We love yeah. lots of Rogers. And I did hear Kenny talk about uh, the Oilers, where they, where they fit uh, you know, on the landscape of the NHL undefeated teams uh, last night. Uh, as for the Oilers, uh, Dave Tippett said it today. He was asked about the fact, I mean, in NHL standards, you play Friday night. You don't play till Wednesday, especially this early in the season. You know, there aren't a ton of bumps and bruises yet. I'm sure everyone can use the rest. Uh, he said, we'll see tonight. You know, uh, the team is off to an incredible start. Uh, they've defeated teams. They've been on road trips. They've been back-to-back, Canadian clubs. They've, they've kind of covered a, a number of different areas on their checklist. And so they'll see this evening, including playing Philadelphia. I mean, I, I must say it's, it's almost like restarting with these teams because you really haven't seen them for almost, it feels like, two seasons. Uh, yeah. Philadelphia's got Couturier and Giroux, and they've got this kid, Carter Hart, and had a local kid who some people were considering to be a potential 
uh, Olympian as a net miner, could be a, a third goalie, but in the sense that he's the future of goaltending uh, for Canadian clubs and an international tournament. So uh, a lot to sort of... Uh, deal with and understand as the Oilers return home and uh, get set for what's just one game at home before they're back out on the road. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they respond, but the team's been lights out one way or the other with Connor and Leon, uh, Darnell uh, on the blue line, and uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman, not to add to the Leaf woes. I mean, he's <laughs> been, I'm telling you, yeah. this guy's this guy's something. And he's such an enjoyable young man to listen to, uh, talking about what he does on the ice, talking about writing books. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been incredible. And they're going to see if they can continue it tonight. Uh, one last one. I saw an agenda for the weekend after the game in Vegas. It seemed like a pretty good boys weekend. There was like golf. There was a football game. Like these guys kind of had a nice weekend in Vegas, did they not? Yeah, you know, it's incredible that so early in the season you would end up in a spot like that and also have the, the schedule be open to you. The Oilers have not had, well, like every NHL team, really. I mean, these guys, are they're so used to spending time together uh, on the plane, at the hotel, going for dinners, uh, going to movies, and yet really for the last couple of seasons it, it's been yeah. more about being individuals and sitting certain people at certain tables, masks on, and, and doing all that. So it, it lined up well for them it, it is important to to get along with with people whether you're on a conference uh, with your co-workers in this case your co-workers happen to be NHL players so it was a couple of days to spend together and uh, now they want to make sure that uh, they respond accordingly I know they did on Friday night versus Vegas and they got a great game in against the Golden Knights and they hope to do the same thing tonight here at home against the Flyers. Gio always great catching up with you thanks for doing this. Take care pal see you Kenny. See you, buddy. Uh, there is Gene Principe in Edmonton. Winnipeg Jets have won three straight games. And today, more good news. Captain Blake Wheeler has cleared COVID protocols and joined the team for practice today in Anaheim. Wheeler has played in just two games this season. No word yet on whether he will be ready for tomorrow night's game against the Kings. Uh, it says uh, on my little scripts, intro Ken Reed, yes. but he's, he's already here. How yeah. are you, buddy? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Very well. Um, there's a lot going on yeah, there in the world of hockey. Yeah. You, you you have serious face on. Do you want to start you know, with the serious I'm news of the day? I'm a goofball moron guy, but yeah, there, obviously there's this cloud over us from Chicago and uh, you're a hockey dad now. I'm a hockey dad. I see this, and it's just so disappointing. And, and it's, uh, the reason I love sports is sports are supposed to be fun. Right. And on us adults and us people in uh, positions high up, it's our job to make it fun. And making it fun means making it safe. Right. And they didn't make it safe in Chicago. I feel so bad for that young guy. And uh, when you're a dad, um, it, rings you know, it rings when we went through the Sheldon Kennedy, Graham James stuff. Uh, I thought that was, it was, it was so brave of Sheldon. And I thought, well, this is the end of it, but it's not. And, right. and you talked about it. There's people like this everywhere in society. And, and when they creep into a sport that you love, uh, uh, the game of hockey for me is supposed to be an escape. And when reality hits hard inside right. your escape, that's when it hurts. And I feel so, so bad for this, vi the victim in Chicago and, but stories like this yeah. need to happen um, 
and we need to go through them. And I know some people will watch and say, well, why are you spending so much time on this? And the reason why we have to spend so much time on it is to take out the oxygen for any of these people who operate within these games. Yeah. So that you can't allow this to happen. You can't have people sweeping things under the rug. You can't have people embarrassed because something happened under their watch. you got to get them out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no investigative journalist, but Rick Westhead, Katie Strang, outstanding yeah. work. I'm so glad we have people like that in our business. Um, I, I'm more, you know, me and you are happy, fun. happy, happy fun guys. Yeah. But uh, when serious comes in, serious has to be dealt with. And that's what we're dealing in. Uh, there's going to be a huge cloud over that game in Chicago tonight. I, I, I'm curious to see what the reception will be like. I can't believe Joel Quenville is behind the bench tonight. That's, uh, that's somewhat shocking to me. Um, I don't know what the league should do or what the league will do. I have opinions, but ultimately it's up to the league. But I thought you made a good point last segment when you brought up Adam Silver and what how he took care of business with the Clippers right. a couple of years ago. So, right. You know, it, you know for, for Quenville, and I just thought, like, just come out and just say, listen, I have a lot of respect for the process that's going on. I'm going to sit out tonight's game, and yeah. I'm going to talk to Gary Bettman tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, our Panthers have been off to a great start, yep. and we hope they can continue that. Hopefully we go to 7-0. and with, Yeah, with yeah. respect to the process, I'll take a step back. Yeah. Um, so there are some good stories in and around hockey right now. Of course. Um, the Florida Panthers, before this shade came over, um, the group, one of those stories, the Edmonton Oilers, though. An unbelievable yeah. start. You heard Gino talking about Zach Hyman and what he's brought to mm-hmm. the table. Um, a 6-0 and start. We've seen this before from the Edmonton Oilers, the 5-0 and start. Yeah. Um, but it feels a little bit different right now, the way they're rolling. It feels like this is what we've been waiting for since they drafted McDavid. This is, I think, that the team Edmonton, Edmontonians thought they would get years ago when they drafted McDavid. But it, it takes a lot of parts to make a team work. Um, maybe the Leafs fans are hearing that right now. Mm-hmm. Mark Spector, just a great article on how Zach Hyman has fit in. And, and I thought there was a great article from Connor McDavid in there saying, and I'm paraphrasing what he said in, in Speck's article, but he basically said, you know, we've always had guys that can score from a lot of areas, but Hyman gets into those, you know, the different areas. I, I call it the Ryan Smith zone. People right. of a different generation might call it the Phil Esposito zone. But yeah. basically I'm talking about Hyman scoring from the blue paint. Now, analytics people will tell you, oh, you score more goals in the blue paint, and my father told me that in 1979. So it's nothing new. Zach Hyman goes to greasy spots, right. scores greasy goals. They all count. He's a player that obviously the Leafs invested in their big four guys. Uh, they didn't have enough money to pay Hyman, but Hyman is just fitting in so well, so well with Connor McDavid. Uh, the, the way he plays, he was always the guy that got Matthews the puck. Right. And... He's just fitting in perfectly. This is another one of those uh, those analytical conversations, and I hate having them with you because I know where you're going. Yes, because I hate analytics. <laughs> but the the idea of turnovers mm-hmm. and how many puck battles Hyman mm-hmm. wins, and there are those that'll say that he didn't win. You know, he won a lot of them. He didn't win an exorbitant amount of them. But sometimes, as an offensive player, when you're forechecking. You cause the turnover, but you don't get the turnover. Correct. You force the guy into a spot where he makes the turnover. You're the first guy in. You're not going to end up with the puck, but you might make him make a stupid pass. Right. Make a stupid you might play. throw it up the boards. It gets bobbled there. There's Pizza not up a clean the middle. Yeah. Pizza up the middle. Yeah. So, I, and, and there are people drawing the line. Okay, 
Marner and Matthews are struggling. Mm -hmm. Zach Hyman is fit in perfectly. Do you believe that, or do you think that Marner and Matthews and the Leafs are going to get going here? They're going to. They're obviously going to miss. They obviously do miss Hyman. Uh, do I think they're going to get going? They'll they'll get better than what they are now, but they're not a great hockey team. I don't think they're a top ten team in the league. Really? I think yeah. I think they're they don't have a number one. Well, they were last year. Okay, they don't have a bone. Okay, last year. The North, I think, was a big... It was like the man they call Ravine. Ravine the impossibleist. Ravine's going to pull tricks on you. The North pulled a little hypnotism on all of us. The North wasn't that good. I think we're learning that now. No, I don't think we're learning that now. And here's why. Okay. I think let's, see how, let's see how the Oilers do against... Uh, well, they did well again. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, at the start, there was a number where the Canadian teams were like 3-10-1 against the American teams. Right. But since that point... Some of the Canadian but teams have pulled that back. Look, what, look what Calgary's doing right now. I can't believe what Calgary's doing right now, especially on this road trip out east. But I don't think the North was that good. We'll disagree on that. But going back to what I said, I, no, I don't think the Leafs are a top-10 team in the league. They don't have a number one bona fide goalie. I, I think that Jack Campbell does deserve a chance. But would I put him in the elite goalie status that can win you a cup right now? They, no. They thought they were paying Peter Morazic to be yeah. a little bit more. Uh, than they me. don't have a bona fide number one stud defenseman. Now, people can argue and say Morgan Riley's a one. He's, I don't think he's a one. Yeah. I think he's a tremendously skilled player. I think if you put him in a skills contest against other defensemen in the NHL, He'd finish top five, top ten on skill, but I don't think he's that defensive. Yeah, I, I, I talked to Elliot Friedman about that last yeah. week, so I'm not going to go down that road again. The, but I disagreeing? tend to agree with you. Okay. I think like if you put him in a skills contest against Chris yeah. Pronger in his prime, he would kick Chris Pronger's butt. But then Chris Pronger would kick his butt, yeah. and he's a better defenseman. And you could say, well, Lidstrom was a highly skilled defenseman. Lidstrom was a beautiful physical defenseman that never had to throw a hit. His angles were so good. Right. And I think they have too much money, obviously, in, the, in your top four guys who aren't producing, and there's not enough jam. My word for the Leafs is they lack jam. One last note on the Leafs. I'm with uh, the little man whose name's on the water bottle at the game the other night. We're way up in the 300s. And he says, Daddy. I said, yeah. He goes, the Leafs are really good. At stick handling, but they only do it in the corner and along the boards. I said, Jacoby, <laughs> you are bang on, son. Bang on. Yeah, puck possession means nothing if you give it away. Uh, exactly. Uh. And, and, and but back to puck possession, Paul Landry, my Adam C. coach with the Picto Packs, preached possession of the puck in 1984. It's nothing new. After the break, uh, one of our weekly traditions with a twist. That's right. Three of 32 thoughts, this time with Jeff Merrick. We'll do that next right here. Tim and Friends featuring Kenny Reed, who's sticking around, and Jesse Rubinoff, who's sticking around before getting married. Contractually <laughs> obligated. <laughs> Welcome back. Tim and Friends continue. Tim McAuliffe, Ken Reed, and normally on Wednesday, Elliot Friedman joins us for three of 32 thoughts. But as you can tell, this is not Elliot Friedman. Elliot we are switching good. things up <laughs> and very pleased to have Elliot's co-host on the 32 Thoughts so, podcast, Jeff Merrick, joining us for three so of 32 this, brought this, to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. Jeff, now you can go. I had to get that in there. So you can, you can call me the reasonable hand-drawn facsimile of Elliot Friedman then, Tim. How will we go I, with that? I think, I think it's a new and improved yeah, hand-drawn facsimile. More well-read than Elliot Friedman, <laughs> yeah, clearly, oh, looking that high. Uh, what what well, are those here, books here, over your here, left shoulder? Here's the little, here's the little <laughs> secret about... Oh, look at that. We have some Ken Reed offerings there over my shoulder. How about that? Here's the little thing about books and television. Let your viewers in on a little secret. When you want to make people look smarter on television... When you're concerned about their credibility, when you think that, uh, you know what, the audience needs to see this performer in a different light, you do two very specific things with them. One, 
you put a bookshelf behind them. <laughs> because the message to the audience is, wow, this person must be smart. They must have read all those books. And rule number two is, and I'm glad to see you're following it. Yeah. Put on glasses. <laughs> to make, to Three, give you the impression right. that somehow you are scholarly. Three brilliant men. It's, I always say, you look smarter when you think of something with glasses. Yeah. Like, like at, what? Do what you have is, your degree? What's the, what's the square root of 16? Hmm. <laughs> that is a taste. It's four, by the way. <laughs> is it four? Very good. Taste plastic. Very good. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Jeff Merrick, I, I don't want to um, bring this story up immediately, but we just received some news that uh, Kyle Beach has yep. courageously come forward. Uh, it is no longer yes. John Doe. He's made a statement. Uh, we heard a statement as John Doe yesterday, but he has come forward, and it is, in fact, Kyle Beach. For those who don't know a lot about Kyle Beach, can you tell us uh, a little bit about him uh, before sure. the situation and after the situation in Chicago? So Kyle Beach is a former first-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, was a uh, big, strong, tough, skilled player in the Western League, played with the Everett Silvertips, played in Spokane as well. You know, this kid was ticketed to do some pretty big things in the NHL. He was a prototypical power forward, big size, had hands to go with it as well. You know, it was always a weird relationship, though, between Kyle Beach and, and Hockey Canada and around the world juniors. Did they want to take him? Penalties would be an issue. A really aggressive player, uh, always left off teams. But we always sort of wonder, you know, where's the spot for Cal Beach on one of these World Junior Hockey Championship squads? Um, but like, he was a he was a top-rated prospect. Like there was, he was ticketed to do big things in the NHL. Had the skill set, as we mentioned, big, strong, skilled at the same time, and things went horribly awry almost immediately after he turned pro at the age of 20. Yeah, I mean, much love to Kyle, respect to Kyle, but yeah. that's yep. the thing, Jeff. He he shows up in Rockford, the AHL affiliate of of Chicago, uh, at the end of his junior year, right here. Kid gets some experience. Yeah. So, I mean, as a parent, I know you're a hockey dad as well. That's just heartbreaking to me. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, and here's someone that, you know, normally players, when they make that transition to junior to pro, it's a whole lot of questions, and you're unsure of yourself, and you don't know who to trust, but your default is, well, I'm going to trust everybody because yeah. they're in the NHL. You know, I can only imagine that feeling as a parent, sort of, you know, surrendering your child first to, you know, junior hockey and, and then into the NHL, and you want to think that they're being taken care of, and you're right, Kenny, like, this is, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare, and was a nightmare for Cal Beach, a nightmare for families, um, like the, the most awful thing you can imagine happened to this kid as he transitions from junior hockey to pro, he gets taken advantage of and, you know, psycholo psychologically he gets played with that if he doesn't go along with what Brad Aldrich is proposing, this may cost his career. Something that he's, you know, planned for his entire life. The whole story is awful and I would maintain it wrecked any any chance of him having any type of pro career right out of the gate? You know, I, I leafed through uh, the 107-page report before yeah. I came on the air yesterday, yeah. and, and it was tough to read. And this morning I said to myself, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make sure that I read through as much as I possibly can. And one of the things that jumped out at me was how Aldridge threatened the careers of the Black Aces. Mm -hmm. And now we come to find out that it's Kyle Beach and he doesn't play a game in the NHL. Like, it's, yeah. it's near heartbreaking to read that. And Kenny brought up 
um, Sheldon Kennedy. And I, for a second, like the bravery and courage of Sheldon Kennedy and now Kyle Beach should not go without recognition, yeah, no. without a doubt. But we thought we got to a spot because, you know, growing up in this country, we've, we've seen it in different places. It was in hockey. You heard about it if you played any sort of hockey. It was in the church. You heard about it. It was in all aspects. And what I hoped was the case when Sheldon Kennedy came out was that we weren't going to give oxygen. We weren't going to give excuses. No one could be embarrassed anymore by the situation. They could come forward or people around them could come forward. And the people who were around Kyle Beach let him down. Uh, they really did. And what did we say after Sheldon Kennedy? What yep. did we say, say after um, you know, Gordon Stuckless? Yeah. What did we say after Graham James? This can never happen again. We're putting in guardrails. You know, this, is, this is not going to happen. It keeps happening time and time again. And I think it's folly to think that this story is over as well. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. this is part of the story. This is the beginning of the story. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, you guys were talking about Joel Quenville a couple of moments ago as well. He's going to be behind the bench tonight. <sighs> in a move that I'm, I'm still, I shouldn't really be stunned at anything around this case, but that still stuns me. Uh, a, that Joel Quenville would want to do that and B, the Florida Panthers would allow him. But there's still a lot of questions here. The dynamics in, in a lot of those meetings. Um, you know, John McDonough really never let Rocky words, what was happening um, you know, during uh, during this time, that's a that's a stretch for a lot of people. Knowing how close John McDonough and Rocky Wirtz were at the time, and they were married at the hip for the entire time that John McDonough was there to help rejuvenate and uh, you know and and give the Chicago Blackhawks a shot in the arm and bring them back to prominence in the NHL. Every single step of the way, we've always said the same thing, and that is this: it'll never happen again. We can't let this happen again. Now. The generation before me failed. My generation failed. I'll tell you one thing that gives me a little bit of a glimmer of hope. Did you guys see what Alex DeBrinket said today? He no, said, I, did he not say young come, hockey player? Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, Kenny, go ahead. Did he not say come together? I, I just saw the headline, come together as a team. And I mean, he obviously says something deeper than that. I'm going to paraphrase Alex DeBrinket today after the skate, but he said this is something that had to happen. When have you ever heard a young hockey player talk about a manager like that? The one thing that I got, because, you know, Tim, like, like you, I'm reading this last night, and I read it again this morning uh, so I could make sure that I, I didn't miss anything. This is a, a story that's certainly very sensitive, and you don't want to mess up on any step of the way. Yeah. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about how in hockey, at every step of the way, what gets rewarded? Not being a distraction yep. yeah. gets rewarded looking the other way, minding your own business, don't getting in, not getting involved. That gets rewarded every single step of the way. What doesn't get rewarded? Speaking. Being a distraction, right. calling a halt to things, speaking out against people that may be higher than you up on the ladder of an organization, uh, or even if they're lower than you on, a, on the, uh, the ladder of the organization. The things that get rewarded in this game are incredible, are incredibly short-sighted and shallow. And I'm reading this report last night and I'm saying, I feel awful for all the victims because it's not just Kyle Beach. And I'm with you guys, full support to Kyle Beach and, yeah. and good on him yeah. um, for re revealing himself and saying, this is not just my word versus theirs anymore. It's not closure yet for Kyle Beach. It's probably not, like that psychological scar he's gonna live with 
forever, no matter what the settlement is here between the Blackhawks and Kyle Beach, that's not going to remove a scar, and that's going to be with him for his entire life. Hopefully, though, this is the beginning of some type of closure. But I'm still stunned at how, you know, you've heard the old cliche, you know, we may be done with history, but history's not done with us. There's going to be more that comes out of this story, and there are still going to be more stories. And until we have more people like a young Alex DeBrinkett saying about his general manager who just got fired or stepped away from the organization, this is something that had to happen, then the, the same thing is going to continue to happen. We need more young players like Alex DeBrinkett, more Katie Strangs and Scotty Powers and Mark Lazarus and Rick Westheads, people that aren't going to shy away from having the conversation, investigating the issues and bringing them forward. Um, so we're just getting some word on what Kyle Beach said. And you mentioned, Jeff, that this is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it would appear as though that is the case because uh, he said, Kyle said, that there is absolutely no way Joel Quenville can deny knowing about his allegations when he came forward in 2010. So this uh, is just the start, and hopefully we get to a better place in the end. Uh, thanks for taking the walk with us, Merrick. Uh, really thanks, appreciate Jeff. it. Thanks, Jeff, yeah. You guys are the best. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, there is. Wear those glasses proudly. Wear them proudly. <laughs> we the try glasses proudly. Makes you look smart. Try, try our best. smart looking bunch. All right, Jeff Merrick, uh, Kenny Reed, and obviously uh, news trickling in as we speak on this live show here. Wow. Do you, you think that comment make, is enough for Quenville to go, I'm not going behind the bench in, what, half an hour? Warm-ups are probably just starting. It was, uh, it was interesting to note in my head, I'd heard that he was going to speak at around 6 p.m. Eastern. You're mm -hmm. thinking start time's an hour later. Yeah. Uh, for Joel Quenville, I wonder if he will address it. And lo and behold, he has addressed yeah. it. And again, uh, quote, there is absolutely no way Joel Quenville can deny about and knowing about his allegations in 2010. Wow. That's wild. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. We'll switch some gears. We'll go to baseball. World Series continues tonight. Game number two. Braves uh, delivering the first punch yesterday. The Astros respond tonight. Jeff Passan joins us, ESPN. Always a great conversation. We'll do that next. I'm Tim and friends. Welcome back, Tim and friends, including Kenny Reed, Jesse Rubinoff. Game two, World Series goes tonight on Sportsnet. Coverage starts MLB Central, 7.30 Eastern time. The Braves lead the Astros one game 2-0 after a 6-2 win last night. It'll be Max Fried against Jose Urquidy. Urquidy. tonight. And joining us now from Houston is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, MLB insider, author, and old-school Timmons citizen, ESPN chef Passan joins us. What's up, Passan? How are you, buddy? I am, Good to be with you. I am very well. How are you? How is Houston treating you? I mean, it's Houston, so terribly, but you know, aside from that, I'm great. Passing, what a beauty you are. I love it. All right, Jeff, this is the first question I have. It's the only thing that the guys at the, the Cut and Run Barbershop, where I got this tight cut today, were talking about. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to take a second here to ask this question, but much like the people in a Seinfeld episode, I too once sat through The English Patient. It seemed like the longest movie in the world to me. The runtime on The English Patient, I looked it up today, was two hours and 42 minutes. Last night, I could have watched The English Patient and the all-time classic Cannonball One Run 2 times. in the time it took Cannonball to watch Run two, yeah. that baseball game. 
What's happening, man? How did we get to a four-plus hours for a nine-inning ball game? Four hours and I believe four minutes for a nine-inning baseball game with a final score that was six to two. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's not ideal. It's not enjoyable. It's the antithesis of what a sport should be. As our attention spans have gotten shorter, baseball has gotten longer. And I think that's a problem that people inside the sport understand. They recognize, they want to do something about. It's why you see in the minor leagues this year, they're trying out pitch clocks. They're trying out all these different things to potentially implement in big league games. But the reality is, is that this is the end game of what analytics has wrought. And I'm not a person who's gonna sit here and blame analytics for everything. I think analytics are fantastic. They give us a greater knowledge of the game. Uh, they, they teach us more. They help us understand it better. But what they also do is they allow it to be played more efficiently. And the efficiency of outgetting is in complete diametric opposition <laughs> to a game moving along quickly. So we have matchups, we have platoons, we have relievers, we have pitching changes, we have at-bats being ground out for seven, eight, nine, ten pitches. We have not as many balls in play, so the counts are going deeper. We have all these things coming together at once, and when you add that on top of long commercial breaks, you get playoff games that start at 8 p.m. Eastern and go past midnight, and you have an audience that's either a bunch of people who stay up late or are going to be extraordinarily tired and have a bad feeling about baseball the next day because this stupid freaking game kept me up until midnight. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. It's something that baseball needs to address. And none of them yeah. are kids, I'll tell you that no, much. No, I know. Kids can't say after that. So mm. this basically comes back to my theory. I share it with my brother on Modern Day Society. Nerds have ruined everything. <laughs> 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 that's just rude. Come on. I'm a, I'm a nerd, and I make this show better. Like, that's the beauty of it. We can do good Hold things, on. too. Get <laughs> that man some horns. Uh, so, so, hold on. God, I, I love the horn. Love I, the horn. I want to I talk about game two. I want to talk about the series. But is do you really think Major League Baseball will implement any of these things? Because I do. I got an 11-year-old boy who yes. loves baseball and yes. won't and hasn't watched the World Series. It starts too late. It goes too long. Like, will they actually do anything? Yeah. I don't know what exactly they're going to do, but I don't understand why you wouldn't start a game at 7 o'clock Eastern. Me too. Right? I really don't. I'm sorry for the people on the West Coast. Like, I, I understand people on the West Coast uh, are are going to miss out on the beginning, potentially. But I would rather have kids everywhere in the country be able to watch this game. And I know even, even my 14-year-old, who stays up late, can't stay up and watch the end of a World Series. The end, guys. Yeah. The most yeah. important part of the game. It's great to watch the beginning of a game, to see the pageantry, to see the lineup the first time through, all of those things. But if you can't watch who wins or loses the game, how are you going to have any stake in it? Yeah. It was really interesting yesterday to hear Rob Manfred talk, and he characterized the sport that he oversees as not a national game. Yeah. It's a game that's yeah. broken down into 30 individual markets. These two things can coexist. You can have rabid fans in local markets, 
while still having it be a national game. Yeah. And the idea that baseball has potentially given up on that is really disturbing to me, honestly. And, and something I look at thinking, like, what are they doing? I, I mean, have they let the game get this far away where even though there are people out there who can sit there and appreciate a four-hour and four-minute four six-to-two game, there aren't a whole lot of them. And I love baseball. Wow. I love baseball. I just don't like baseball sometimes right yeah. now. Yeah. I hear you. It's like when your kid screws up. I love you, but I do not like you right now. <laughs> well, let's get to the, I think, what most people loved about that game one. If you were a 1920 sports writer, Charlie Morton on a broken leg, how would you write that up? That's, that's a back in the moment in my day, son. Like, that's a sports writer's dream. I, you know, I feel like I kind of do write like a 1920 sports writer <laughs> already. That's why I love you, baby. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. So, 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 I mean, maybe that's what I wrote last night. It was my favorite thing I wrote all playoffs because, I, you know, uh, writing about baseball right now kind of sucks. <laughs> and, and it is, this is, this is a very, no, this is a very first world problem. But for the first 16 or 17 years I was doing it, I got to go into clubhouses after the game. And I got to talk to guys and I got to take the temperature of the room and see what the real story is. And because of COVID, we don't have that right now. But what we have gotten is catching up with guys in hallways. And I caught up with Brian Snicker in the hallway and Travis Darno and Freddie Freeman last night and was asking them, hey, what was Charlie Morton like tonight? And they were all telling stories about how Charlie Morton was apologizing for having his leg broken by a comebacker. And if that is not, it's like Freddie Freeman said, if that's not the most Charlie Morton thing in the world, being so earnest that when he had his leg broken by a 102 mile per hour line drive, he is the one who ends up being apologetic toward other people. There is nothing more Charlie Morton than that. And so getting to write that story, getting to talk to guys like, good night in the ballpark. Uh, and here we are for game two now. Let me ask you a question. Uh, would Charlie Morton been able to deliver those lines with the grounds crew that close to him while he was talking to national TV in Canada? Yeah, I got I, I, I got to be honest. Um, I, I might have just said something there that I didn't even realize because <laughs> when there are people that close to me and I'm doing live TV, I get really nervous and just talk. Yeah. And it may no, not make sense. It, it made sense. It, it may not be coherent. I may have started talking French or Spanish there. I don't even remember at this point. All I know is I'm just saying it's like you're in my right ear. They're in my left ear saying one, two, three. And I'm thinking, Jesus, am I going to get punched in the face on three? Or are they lifting something right now? And I don't know what it was. Lifting. Can you tell me what it was? Because I really don't know. It, it was lifting. They, yeah. they were lifting and they were moving and they were shuffling. Last question for you. I said at the start of the show, I think the Astros down one game are now the favorites in this series because Charlie Morton's out and he may have evened this up because the one advantage that the Braves I thought had was in their starting pitching. Agree or disagree? Okay, well, I'm not going to agree or disagree, but I am going to offer this to you. If okay. The advantage that Atlanta had was at starting pitching. They still have Max Fried twice. They still have Ian Anderson twice. So they have four starts out of guys who are conceivably better than the options that the Houston Astros have. Now, losing Charlie Morton absolutely hurts. But if Atlanta can win this game tonight 
and they have the starting pitching advantage tonight and get to go home with three games in their ballpark and a 2-0 lead. I'm not going to say Atlanta's cinching the series tonight with a victory because, you know, like it's Atlanta and 28-3. And I know this is another sport, but still there's that whole Atlanta thing that we know <laughs> exists. Gotcha. Uh, but after winning last night, after doing it with Charlie Morton getting only seven outs, the Braves are in an extraordinarily strong position at this point. From the oil epicenter of the world, thanks for joining us, 1920 reporter Jeff Passan. Looking great, son. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> there is Passan in Houston. Love it. Be well, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Avoid the grounds crew. Uh, Jeff Passan. <laughs> Telling a joke on. Say if I was Telling a joke on that three-second delay is always a little risky. Or, yeah. He's got to wait through that three seconds of dead air. Yeah, but, but he, he was able to pick yeah. it up and run with it like most the grounds my, crew. Yeah, most of my jokes just fun <laughs> there anyway. Uh, time for one last break. Uh, last call with Ken Reed and the guy who's getting married tomorrow. What are you still doing here? <laughs> as the room went on. There's ten minutes to go. There's Next. a place just around the corner you should probably be at. What? What's what? that? What? His mother-in-law's. <laughs> story that's dominated the show here in Tim and Friends. Ken Reed in studio. About uh, five minutes ago, we got a statement from the Chicago Blackhawks uh, regarding the investigation and now uh, the courage and bravery of Kyle Beach coming forward. Uh, the statement coming from the Blackhawks, and I quote, First, we would like to acknowledge and commend Kyle Beach's courage in coming forward. As an organization, the Chicago Blackhawks reiterate our deepest Apologies to him for what he has gone through and for the organization's failure to promptly respond when he bravely brought the matter to light in 2010. It was inexcusable for the then executives of the Blackhawks organization to delay taking action regarding the reported sexual misconduct. No playoff game or championship is more important than protecting our players and staff from predatory behavior. The Blackhawks have implemented numerous changes and improvements within the organization, including hiring a new leadership team that is committed to winning championships while adhering to the highest ethical, professional, and athletic standards. End quote. Could have stopped at the first line. Yeah. Uh, well, why would they go to the championships? Like, well, why, why would they bring that into it? I'm, I'm not sure. I thought the same thing. There was a little bit of a pause from Uncle Timmy. Did you notice it? Yeah. Yeah, with the committed to winning championships. Yeah. Oh, ask, the, ask the lawyer. Sometimes it's too many words. Ask the lawyer and PR from that wrote it. So, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, these are tough. It's, it's tough stuff. All right. Did you, uh, did you hear that uh, Jesse oh, Rubinoff is getting married tomorrow? I know. And I first saw it Thursday, but you get married when you get married these days because of everything That's was right. delayed yeah. for a year, I would suppose. That's right. So, that, yeah, a lot of people writing and say, why are you getting married on Thursday? Well, yeah. we, we just came out or still in a pandemic. The and big it's hard question to find is, wedding venues. Why are you here right now? That's my question. Like, uh, you're either a dedicated employee or you're really, really avoiding you, the. Few. I heard it's, it's Wednesday. I knew you were coming in. I wanted to be here with nah, you. Nah, you're just avoiding the future wife. You're hoping that I got the <laughs> night off and me and you can <laughs> go out and rock and roll. There are some tweets, no? Me and you can hit the Legion, buddy. There are some tweets along the way. I asked early, like, any advice for Jesse coming in? Cut or uncut him showing up today? Uh, I'm guessing we got a few before well, we get the last call. Yeah, call-up. sure. But first of all, uh, uh, the cut or uncut poll yeah. is 57.6% cut. Yeah. 
But I will say, first of all, thank you to everybody who wrote in with their advice because it's very kind, very, uh, very kind some heart, audience. Some heartwarming the, advice. Yes, from the, from the uh, Tim, Tim and, and friends. And friends yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just Phil said, enjoy the day and congratulations. If in doubt, always ask yourself, what would Tim McAuliffe do? <laughs> and then hope for the best. The answer is take a couple snapshots, mental snapshots, that is. <laughs> Lauren says, I think he's afraid of his wife to be, and she probably told him to go to work, and that's what you do. That's right. <laughs> that's, really, that's the one I was referring that might to. Be yeah. My favorite, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rick says getting married on Thursday night. Uh, Thursday night football. Any props on the wedding card? Over under one and a half times. Jesse cries. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go with over on uh, one I and a half cried. times. Are you, uh, yeah, are you gonna lose it? Uh, yeah, probably. I cried. One and a half times is a, a pretty low number. Uh, Tom says his fiance is likely appreciative that he is working. Not so sure about that. <laughs> Uh, and then we got this from uh, Neil, font coordinator. Uh, hey, guys, uh, I literally worked on this show hours before my wife gave birth. <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 he, is he bragging about that? Like, what part of that? I know Neil likes you're to make hero, it about Neil. himself. Yeah, you're the hero. You're a hero, Imagine buddy. Yeah. To make yeah. On the day your yourself. wife gave birth to your child, <laughs> you're the one that's the Don't hero. pay attention to the kids. Stop watching the show, Neil. Or scouring through Twitter for the cut or uncut. Do we give marriage advice at this point? Is that what we do? If you'd like to, I, I, I have done. I got a message from my <laughs> wife, totally unrelated to this, okay. during the break. And uh, this is I, my advice would be make your bed. Little things that make people happy, so make your bed. Because I got a message from my wife that said, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a ledge and say at least 86% of grown men make their bed. So. I don't know. There's, there's not no chance. chance that she's right on that. Do you hear Kenny, that, Mrs. Reed? Kenny, you got that's our next poll. Uh, grown ass men who make the bed. Where did she not go? Eighty-six percent. I, I, I. She I hates the fact I don't make the bed. I prefer your wife over you. You know that. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, she's dead wrong on this one. I prefer her over me as well. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I, well, I sleep in obviously because I work late and I never make the bed. Do eighty-six percent of people in general Period. make their bed? No, because 50% of people are men. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. Every once in a while, I will lift the comforter and pull it up That's relatively close. No, I mean, there, yes, because there is, there is something to be said about making, making your bed. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, there it's is. calming. Yeah. Every military man ever. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for it. That's so maybe, true. yeah. I don't. Become I'm part of the 86% of us who do it. I was just impressed when I got, um, you know, like the, the bottom sheet that goes on the mattress. <laughs> right. Apparently, I just so, got something. Oh, make your bed. That's that's oh, the no, advice. No. Mark, I'm not going there. No, I got sent a link. I'm, that's inappropriate. I'm not going there. <laughs> I love no. that on live TV. No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I can't that. do that. All right, let's do last call then. <laughs> All right. So Don't do over, that. Do last call. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, just over, and he's trying to get me in trouble before I'm out for my wedding gear. I just over an hour uh, until first pitch of game two of the and World 24 Series. 24 hours from Jesse's wedding. <laughs> Braves and Astros. 23. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, lots to look forward to as a sports fan on the baseball side, but how about the ballpark food, gentlemen? Uh, Aramark gave us lobster grilled cheese and lobster corn dogs in the ALCS. And now... What is that? The World Series. We've got Doritos nachos. Um, your thoughts on Doritos nachos? Your well, here's the deal. Cool you Ranch or Nacho Doritos topped with, with queso, queso blanco. Queso blanco, fajita chicken or beef, sour cream, fresh jalapenos, and green onions. What is on your ultimate plate of nachos? First off, yeah. why? what is America's yeah. obsession with trying to kill themselves with food? <laughs> yeah, it's a it great is question. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that said, I love pulled pork. 
on my nachos. You ever had pulled pork in your yeah, nachos? Yeah, they're good. It's very good. good. Yeah. But I mean, but the problem is, most of the people that order that are, eat it seven days a week. <laughs> Once you in mean, a while. You mean get a $150 uh, all year round pass at Six, Six Flags? Did you hear about did, this? Yeah. <laughs> no, what is, no, what is uh, this? A guy yesterday, we did the story, he bought a season's pass to eat at Six Flags and he ate all of his meals because it cost him $150 for the entire year. He ate off a student loans after, got married, <laughs> so bought a house. He bought all he can eat food at Six Flags. He ate lunch and dinner there every day for a year with a couple years, How is 150 it? bucks. That's a good deal. So really, that's what I said. I have right. problems with but, that. But, <laughs> but the food that's at Six Flags is like, we're talking like chicken fingers, funnel cakes, which is what we talked about yesterday. Was it your former Burgers. co-host that did this? <laughs> Six Arrow? Was it Six Arrow that did it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Six Arrow's going through customs somewhere, every day. Somewhere he's going, I'm moving to California. Down to six, coming to Six Flags again, Six Arrow? Yeah. Um, uh, they must have some sort of healthy option, do they not? He said the food improved from then until now. Or did he just get used to it? Yeah. No, he's saying it got the other were more healthy choices. Like maybe they maybe mixed in a salad from time to time. Uh, okay, how about uh, this promo available for Game 2 in Houston? It's everyone's favorite uh, boozy Bears, also from Aramark. It's a jar of gummy bears soaked in raspberry vodka, selling for $13.99. So we've got teddy bears, gummy bears, care bears. What's your favorite kind of bear? Grizzly bear. Naked. Oh. Naked bear. Bear naked. Hey! Uh, you got to just that around. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I can't say gummy bears after that. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Move on. Okay, let's, naked go, to the, bear. let's go to the no, next bear one. Naked. Uh, okay, so... Bear naked, that's what somebody will be on his wedding night! Yeah. <laughs> that's gross. Move on. Again, move on. Uh, Maple Leafs are really a little bit. <laughs> I love how you put the dice clay on the other. Oh! Maybe they can use a little help. That's, this uh, guy's gonna be naked! Oh! <laughs> completely off the rails. Uh, that's Josh Donaldson, former Blue Jay, Toronto, and uh, AL MVP, Toronto Blue Jay, bringer of rain, saying thank you to the Maple Leafs for giving me the opportunity tonight to start in my first NHL game. We'll be the first two-way player to play in the MLB and NHL. Not true. Mama, we made it. Why is his jersey so tight? Not true. Uh, there have been there have been players that have played. In, played in both? Yeah, and played in both. Tommy McAuliffe knows him. I want to. Uh, oh, yeah. I think I'd have that somewhere in the dark recess of my mind. Uh, Tom Glavin was drafted by the LA Kings. Yeah. Kirk McCaskill was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets. Pitched for the California Angels. Like, I feel like Donaldson's actually I want to say it was the Jack type of Gavin guy the Leafs could use. They could use anything. Yeah, he's he, he has passion. Show a little fight before he, he gets, gets to 7-1. He, you know he gets I mean? angry. Yeah, I'm all for Josh Donaldson suiting up. Look at him trying to Google it. By the, uh, I, I know it, and it's it's in I the head from the somewhere head. back here that, yeah. like, it's not Kirk McCaskill. No, it's Kirk not. never played. Glavin never played. Yeah, there's, there's someone back in the – there are guys in, like, the 50s that I'm, Tom McAuliffe told me. I'm positive, though, Kirk McCaskill did play a little in the American League, I think. I think. Kirk uh, McCaskill. It's like we're done here. Uh, Jesse, uh, all, all kidding aside, have a have a wonderful yes. night. All have the best night. to the uh, to the lovely wife Thank you, uh, to be. Have a great day. We appreciate you. And because it's like pandemic, the guy's back on Monday. Oh, there's, whoa. No, there's no honeymoon. No honeymoon. Yeah, it's none of that. Oh, Thank you both. Okay, shut up.